The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. It's our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. Today, we're talking about neurodiversity. Our guest is Ludmila Preslova. Ludmila is a psychology professor at Vanguard University. She looks specifically at making organizations more accessible to everyone, including those of us who are neurodivergent. And Ludmila, she has a unique perspective on this topic. She has autism. For most of her professional life, she didn't know this. But then a couple of years ago, something shifted in her job. She had to drive more and attend more social functions. I've been doing this job for 25 years and like all of a sudden I can do it. Ludmila had always been uncomfortable with things that didn't seem to bother a lot of her peers. Loud music, long drives and certain social gatherings. It was confusing and frustrating. And now she wanted answers. I was trying to figure out like what's going on. Why can't I force myself to do those things and just be better at those things? Ludmila began to research and reach out for help. And in 2020, she was officially diagnosed with autism. Her lifelong fight for diversity and inclusion became personal. Her diagnosis showed her just how alienating organizations and workplaces can be for the neurodivergent. Today, we're going to talk about all of it. Here's Ludmila. The idea of neurodiversity is that different ways of thinking and different ways of knowing are inherently a part of human diversity, just like within biodiversity, there are different forms of plant life, different forms of animals, and they all play an important role. So it's a perspective on how people who function slightly differently, so, but that's a classic definition. Uh, differences in thinking and cognition that are part of human diversity. So neurodiversity is a way of pulling back from simply looking through the narrow lens of how is the experience of those with autism different from what we might consider a quote-unquote typical experience, and saying instead, can we recognize that there are many, many experiences in the world, and a neurodiverse experience, it began with the autistic experience but then expanded to include also the experience of people with ADHD and people who have Tourette's, and now has expanded even further. Yes. So it's not a codified movement. It's kind of an evolving way of thinking, which is why there are some people who might uh, use a slightly different criteria for what's included within neurodiversity. So if you wouldn't mind, I think it would be really instructive for our listeners to hear a little bit about your own experience. So you were diagnosed with autism in 2019, right? I self-diagnosed in 2019 and I was officially diagnosed in 2020. Walk us back a little bit and explain to us how you got there. Well, the way many people do, because there is a very significant number of people who uh, grew up before autism was a 
popular diagnosis. So basically anyone who is not a millennial or not a Z. And uh, even many millennials and even some Zs also experience difficulty with diagnosis in childhood that specifically is applicable to women and girls. There are many uh, women and girls who are missed by the system, a little bit fewer now because there is a growing awareness uh, of autism in girls and the different presentation. But for a very long time, uh, women specifically fell through the cracks I want to I want to pause there a second. I want to pause there because I I think we cannot accentuate that point enough that really in the discussion broadly about what autism is and what it looks like there's long been a stereotype and that stereotype has been uh quite narrow. It's been a brainiac boy who is really 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 smart with bad social skills. And it's my assumption that actually that's just a very narrow slice of what it means to live and be on the autism spectrum. And yet that's the one that we, we see the most. Absolutely. So this comes from early descriptions of autism, which were mostly on boys, very few girls, and was always assumed that it does fall in this male brain pattern. Even the terminology that was used was very much a boy who is interested in trains. And uh, uh, there obviously are some who fall in that category, but uh, there are quite significant differences. So females are more likely to care about social fitting in and social presentation and uh, are more likely to try and are also very likely to mask in order to fit, which, to fit in, which is a very high effort uh, tactic to try to mimic behavior, to watch TV, read books, trying to figure out humans and trying to do our best. So that might, that is one reason that many women were missed and some of the men with slightly different presentation that uh, than what was expected. But it can lead to significant burnout and other kinds of issues. Well, I have to say it sounds so both exhausting and traumatic to put so much energy into training yourself to mask who you are and try to come across as someone who you're not. And many people don't realize we're doing this because obviously it starts very early and society kind of punishes you for being yourself or for being an order, for reading too much. So you try to, okay, so I'm going to force myself to learn about those lighter topics that people wanted to talk about, or I'm going to force myself to smile or harder things. I'm going to drag myself to this party and I'm going to pretend to enjoy music. And, uh, and then I will just go and cry because I'm completely sensory overwhelmed and my head is exploding because everything is way too loud. So yeah. there's a variety of things people would try to do because it's not like autistic people don't have desire to be with other people it's just uh we have a different processing system and uh, 
we intuitively would want to socialize in a different way. Well, I would love to hear if you're willing to share it a little bit about what your experience as a child and young adult was before you had this diagnosis. You know, what did you understand about yourself? In my case, I think it's very hard to disentangle my experience with neurodivergent mind and other kinds of experiences because I was also very poor. And that, I think, was more of a factor than cognitive differences. So uh, when you live in a tiny apartment with four people (laughs) where the noise from neighbors never stops and you have very high sensory sensitivity, uh, that really kind of colored my early experiences more than anything else because... Otherwise, I think I would have been a very happy person reading books and just enjoying the, you know, the depth of the world because I always enjoyed studying. So I do kind of fit the autistic nerdy person consuming 20 books a week stereotype. (laughs) So in many ways, I was years and years and years ahead because I was reading college textbooks when I was in second grade. Wow. But I had an issue with math teacher when I was in fourth grade because she told me I was ugly and I told her she shouldn't be a teacher. <laughs> so I got kicked out of math class. So I was not ahead in that area, contrary to stereotypes. Yeah. I still think I was right. I still think she, she shouldn't have been a teacher when she says stuff like that. I I love that, like the way that that both uh, underscores what I believe to be true stereotypically about people with autism, even though it's not necessarily always true, which is a certain brilliance, um, and yet like flies in the face of stereotypes, which is that it wasn't at all about math. Right. And again, not everyone is brilliant. It's not true about every individual. So we can be very good at some things and not so good at other things. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Ludmilla will share the story of her own autism diagnosis. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. And we're back. In 2019, some things changed in Ludmilla's life, and things that had seemed routine were suddenly difficult, even unbearable. So Ludmilla decided to look for answers. She wanted to figure out why these changes were affecting her so much. I was struggling with several things and that is also not unusual so something changes about your job and um, and you can't do it anymore or something changes and you can't deal it so some people i've heard stories they were put in the open office mm-hmm. and somehow they went from the best performer in their organization to not being able to cope so there were some changes that were made in what i was doing that require driving longer differences, which stresses me out. Yep. And also attending 
more social functions, loud social functions. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of pushed me to the point where just like, I don't know, I've been doing this job for 25 years and like all of a sudden I can do it. Yeah. So I kind of, I was tried to, I was trying to figure out like what's going on. Why can't I force myself to do those things and just be better at those things. And, uh, and then I started reading and watching about, uh, like female, female autistic characteristics, because mm-hmm. it was literally like, I, I've done so many things that were considered impossible in my life. Why can't I get better, you know, at handling, um, driving stress mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, I've always been very, I can handle loud music for two minutes and then I'm sick for the rest of the day. Yeah. And so when it was kind of required of me to go into uh, loud situations, I was just like, I don't know how I can handle my job anymore. Yeah. Wow. So then I kind of tried to figure out what's going on. And, uh, and then I was like, oh my gosh. Well, another thing that happened, it was the end of 2019. And Greta Thunberg became a person of the year. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's just like, like I was at that age. (laughs) That was a big part of it. So what changed when you got your formal diagnosis for you? Uh, It was very liberating. And I think you will hear it from many other people because, uh, like you spend your entire life beating yourself up for your character flaws. Yeah. So, like, you're lazy. That's why you can't do it. (laughs) Which is really funny because I know I'm not lazy and I still hear the voice like you're lazy because uh, there's just certain things that don't come to you naturally. And uh, people just assume those things are so easy that you're not, you must be not trying. Right. And you actually are trying. And then people look at everything else that is so hard for them and it's nothing to you. And they think you must be faking your issues with those easier things because everyone can do it. How come you're doing all those things nobody else can do and can't do basic stuff? So uh, just kind of reframing that and saying that no, it's not a character flaw. And it's yeah. uh, it's a difference. It's incredibly liberating. I have to imagine. And also, and I just have to say thank you so much for sharing this this experience with us. Um, and I, I hope that even if a small handful of listeners hear it and hear something for themselves in it that allows them to feel less alone and go and explore this for themselves, then this will be such a gift that you've given. Um. Ludmilla, it also just brings us back to the very beginning of our conversation when you were talking about how um, there's there's inherent trauma in hiding yourself. I don't think you use the word trauma. I think I just, I don't mean to put it there. I'll edit it out if it's not a word that resonates. Um, but there's there's so much pain in in hiding yourself that you then have to spend so much time undoing. So I would imagine even with the diagnosis, even when you can name it, you still hear that little voice inside your head that's been talking to you since you were old enough to hear it. And um, even if you're better now at recognizing it and saying, no, that's not true about me, it still haunts you a little bit, you know? Well, absolutely. And 
again, yes, sometimes people use the word trauma lightly. Yeah. And, you know, there's a big trauma and uh, then uh, there are minor annoyances. However, there is also uh, what people call complex trauma, which yeah. may not be as dra- dramatic as, you know, like a major physical uh, attack or threat. But if uh, this kind of trauma is repeated over and over and over again, like, you know, you're told that you're no good or you're told that why can't you do what every normal person can do or uh, uh, like you're basically gaslighted into thinking that everything you're thinking is wrong. Uh, That kind of adds up. And even though it's not formally uh, recognized, but people, there's more and more literature on complex PTSD, which Mm -hmm. is something that comes from maybe less than one time exposure to a horrendous effect. Uh, event, but multiple over time, over years, over decades, exposure to, uh, let's say, psychological abuse, not being heard, being constantly misinterpreted. Uh, So that is definitely something that uh, a lot of people who are autistic and were uh, not diagnosed or were diagnosed late also identify with. Yeah. And um, that was probably another huge thing when I realized um, those particular patterns. It's it's hard to completely get rid of the voices that yeah. have been with you for so long, but uh, at least you can recognize them and uh, say, oh my gosh, yes, I have this survival pattern and fitting in pattern uh, that is really not serving well so how do i try to uh, find new ways of interacting with the world yeah well so you wrote this article in harvard business review which is how i think so many of our listeners are familiar with your work Um, and it was really the first time i think we had heard a lot of the ideas that you brought forth in the article I'd love to hear, and and the title of the article is Autism Doesn't Hold People Back at Work, Discrimination Does. Um, I'd love to hear how that article was received. Um, People were thrilled to see a neurodiversity perspective on the Harvard Business Review and uh, the perspective on disability that comes from social understanding. And obviously, the title uh, exaggerates a little bit because discrimination definitely is a huge part of it. And it's a counter argument to for the longest part from the medical model of disability that people are problematic, something is wrong with them, we need to train something out of them, we need to drastically change them for in order for them to fit in. So that's a, mod, a medical model. Uh, yeah. From the social perspective, disablement is social. And, uh, for example, it's not a bad thing that I hear everything from far away. The problem is that uh, spaces are designed for people who are less sensitive to noise. 
So it's not an inherent deficit. It's a social or environmental uh, disablement. In the workplace, um, let's say many uh, autistic or other neurodivergent people have incredible skills at doing their work. So you are perfectly capable of doing the work. However, the interview process, selection process, is designed around how good you are at talking about yourself rather than actually doing the thing. So people who get selected are people who are good at bragging about themselves and not necessarily actually doing the thing. So organizations disable us in a way that they actually don't allow us to show our actual skills. So much there to think about, even just the low-grade noise that accompanies an open office. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm back in my office now and I'm just thinking about it. And, you know, I'm often working in the cafeteria where there's some background music going on and the sound of the barista and people chatting and every once in a while somebody shouting out a friend. And um, that is very overwhelming. Right. And we all have different brains. Some people need this a little bit of extra stimulation. Yep. Uh, and uh, it doesn't have to even be on the level of autistic or versus ADHD people. Uh, but you can even talk extroverts and introverts. Extroverts need more stimulation. Environment that's designed for extrovert, uh, for an extrovert, is actually... Uh, overstimulating and harmful to performance of introverts. So uh, then whichever group is in power creates environment that works for them and everyone has to deal with it. So organizations really just need to stop thinking, okay, well, I'm in power and everyone is going to leave according to what I think is right. And to really, to allow other all kinds of people to work to the best of their ability, we need to start thinking, how do we allow people to work to the best of their ability? And with technology and with how most of our jobs are today, this is absolutely possible to give people much more tailored experience, which is what I'm talking about, some of my uh, more recent writing, uh, where ability to design your own work should really become an inherent part of the future of work. Mm -hmm. So what, what messages would you have, what advice would you have for people both people at large organizations like LinkedIn, the company I work for, and people within small businesses to um, make their workplaces uh, more accommodating. If we focus less on presentism and focus more on outcomes, really any kind of a person who just wants to do their job and be good at it will benefit and organizations benefit, giving people more flexibility and uh, allowing us to work with our strengths, part-time options for those who need it, also is going to get people to work on their best. And then creating organizations that are transparent, that have clear communication because one thing that does trip autistic individuals over in the workplace is the double speak and, you know, yep. all this 
uh, guess what I'm thinking kind of communication. And transparency is, in general, is good for building trust. It's good, it's good for um, everyone's well-being, as well as organizational justice and equity. So if we create organizations that remember those key principles, as well as using valid tools for decision-making, so instead of this interview that people can ace without actually being able to do the skill in question, how about we start using instruments that are measuring those outcomes that are important to the workplace? So if people implement those basic things that are really empirically based practices for making work better for everyone, many autistic people won't even need accommodations if certain flexibility is built into how organizations function. That was Ludmila Preslova. If you'd like to find more of Ludmila's work, you can follow her on LinkedIn. So many of us have felt liberated once our thoughts or experiences were validated. I think it's a common feeling. It could be from a doctor, psychologist, even a friend. When we are validated and seen, we realize we aren't alone. So come talk to us about this on Office Hours this week. Join us on Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern. You can find us on the LinkedIn news page or email us for a link at hellomonday at linkedin.com. And as always, if you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Taisha Henry with help from Rafael Garcia. Joe DiGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our head of news production. Michaela Greer and Victoria Taylor help us think through the tough stuff. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. Sarah Storm remains our fairy godmother. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday. Thanks for listening. The last time we were set up in the studio, my computer decided to download a new operating system completely crashed and we had to cancel. So I just want to start by apologizing and thanking you for your patience. I think the last two years we had a lot of those experiences. (laughs) We did.